Why do we suffer? Um, an easy answer to that question is when the suffering is a result of our own behavior. For instance, run a red light, get a ticket. Speed, get a ticket. Those are understandable, right? It's a consequence of our own behavior. But why do we suffer is a much more difficult question when we're suffering as the result of someone else, as a result of their actions or behavior. And I wanted to talk about this a lot earlier. Uh, wanted to, I really don't want to talk about it. Um, it's really hard to talk about suffering, right? Especially the suffering that feels like it's unjust. So in uh, my family, many of you have been praying for my sister and her kids, who uh, two of which, uh, and this is as PG-13 as it gets, two of which were abused by some of their extended family. <clears throat> Watching them go through the results and the consequences and the natural fallout from what an adult perpetrated against a child, a very young child, was really hard. And I don't stand up here acting like none of you have ever experienced something unjust or something painful or something difficult, but I stand up here saying, I'm going to talk about suffering a lot today, and I hope that you don't feel like it's a message that's preached at you as much as it's preached with you, because we've watched our family walk through that. We've watched the results of sin in their little, tiny lives. And we watched a trial get pushed back and rescheduled. And it was a three-year mess that resulted in no conviction. So it was suffering that turned into heartache and injustice on top of all of it. I hope that this comes across as a message where I found hope. in the scriptures that we believe are inspired and authoritative in a Father who does love us in the face of our suffering. I think suffering comes down to one word, sin. It could be our sin. It could be the sins of others. It could be the global result of sin. It could be persecution, and it could be testing. And I think it lands somewhere in those five. But it's sin. We suffer because of sin. If you would pray with me before we address these places our suffering comes from and our response to it. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this place. We ask your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word to our hearts that you might transform us more into your image. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Peter is writing <clears throat> to Christians when he writes this. So Peter says, um, sin, I think, this is what Peter says, sin is a result of our sin sometimes. Peter says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, and another translation, the NLT says, as one who pries into the affairs of others. You should not suffer that way, but we do as a natural consequence sometimes. Peter also says, how is it to your credit 
if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it. In other words, there's no credit there. You're a moron that suffered natural consequences. Finally, Paul, who's writing to the Romans, says there, <clears throat> these will be troubled and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Okay, so I think that we can suffer as a result of our own sin and the natural consequences thereof. I think, and I'm open to your feedback on this, if you'd like to text me, call me, drop in, but I think we can read Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, um, chapter 12, I think that we can read the writer of Hebrews not exclusively as a father who lovingly disciplines his children in a way that teaches them positive habits but I think also in a punitive manner. I invite you to consider the entire context of that before you bring me your input. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So we can we can suffer as the result of our sin, both the natural consequences of our sin and the discipline of the result, uh, the discipline of the Lord as the result of our sin. We can suffer for reasons that are absolutely entirely in our control, still the result of sin. But it becomes more difficult now as we kind of step into the waters of the last four points. And those waters are filled with sin that is not our own. And that's what makes suffering very difficult as a Christian sin of others. So, so we don't sin. We don't do anything in a specific instance wrong. I and you have each done something wrong. We've all sinned, of course. But we suffer as the result of the sin of others. And I think of these three things specifically in this one biblical example specifically as I think about the suffering that we each endure because of the sin of others. And, and the, the first three general examples, these are whole groups of people who suffer because of the sin of others. And it begins with a racial prejudice at a systemic level. And that's hard for me as a conservative to talk about. But the more I get to know individual people who suffer under systemic racial prejudice, the more I understand it's not just a matter of voting. It's not just a matter of, well, I feel like they should be at work right now. It's a matter of sin and someone that's suffering as a result of something they didn't do. A second group of people, I think, are those who have been affected by abortion. In almost every case, that's someone who's suffering as a result of sin that is not their own. And finally, of course, those who are innocent victims of an unjust war. I think each one of those groups of people suffers as a result of other people's sin. So there's one biblical character I'm particularly drawn to when I think about uh, suffering as a result of somebody else's sin. And man, they had every single reason to say, wow, this isn't my fault and it shouldn't be happening to me. And that person is Joseph. And I'm going to quickly summarize the events of Joseph's life, Genesis 38, 39 following but Joseph has a super fancy coat. Now, I don't think that just because Joseph has a super fancy coat that his brother should have plotted to kill him. 
or that his brother should have sold him into slavery, or that once he was in slavery that he should be accused wrongfully and then imprisoned wrongfully. And the icing on the cake, what happens when he's in prison? He was forgotten. Joseph suffers a a whole host of, of miserable suffering that was not because of his sin. The way that Joseph lives in that suffering is something I think we'll see New Testament writers talk about towards the end of the message when we get to number five. But it's an important question for us to ask, how do we respond, how do we respond to the suffering that's brought about by the sin of someone else? How do we respond in our own lives? And then how do we respond to the lives of those that are affected by the sin perpetrated by another individual? And I wish I had like this super, very clear answer that you could go do today, but I noticed that Jesus doesn't even give us that. Jesus gives us a question, and he essentially asks, what does love require? It's the question he spends his whole life answering, and you see him answering it with action. So I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do, but I am going to offer some scripture. Micah 6, 8 says to fight for justice, to offer mercy, and to walk humbly. Suffering is also the result of global sin. So number one, suffering is the result of our own sin. Number two, suffering is the result of others' sin. And number three, suffering is the result of the effects of sin on the entire globe. And I want to invite you to Romans chapter 8. I will read it to you from Romans chapter 8. But I think we have here a picture of what Paul believes is the condition of our current home, planet Earth. We can deduce that Paul says it's under the effects of sin because he believes it's going to be redeemed. You can't redeem something that's not broken by sin. So follow along with me in Romans chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until the present time. So the question that as Christians we have to wrestle with, how do we respond? I think, I think there's two main effects that help me to sort of categorize our response to the global effects of sin, they fall under two main categories. Number one, natural disasters. And number two, people are born. And I want to talk about John 9, 3 here. People are born into the effects, the consequences of sin across the globe. So they're born into suffering innocently. Jesus tries to address this when his apostles are looking for who to blame, right? Because in their mind, the only way that there could be suffering is that someone sinned and they're directly being punished. Jesus' response is informative for us. In John chapter 9, verse 3, 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Friends, I'm not standing up here telling you I understand all of how this works. And I think there's something really important there for each of us. As we tread deeper into the waters of why do we have to suffer, I think it's important for us to say our view is like this big. We see this much. And further, we see this much of what we see. We might, if we're amazingly in tuned with the lives of others, we might also see this much of their perspective. We are so far from the sovereign view of God that when we begin to believe that we understand and could even say this suffering is unjust, we kind of begin to play God, right? Remember our view. I can't really show you his view. It's quite large. But our view is this. We have to be careful not to play God, but we can we can't ask the question, how, how do we respond? And I think we have to remember that one of the purposes of suffering is that the glory of God might be displayed. That's one of Jesus' answers to suffering. The second response is to, uh, if it's a believer, bear one another's burdens. It, if they're not a believer, if someone is not a believer and they're suffering the effects of others' sin or global sin, Again, Jesus' response and Jesus' instruction is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So what does love require? I think in the case of global, global sin, I think disaster response, when you can go on a trip where you get to help a whole community recover from the natural consequences of sin in the world, you're offering love. And it's so weird when you go on those trips because you may be picking up sticks for like three days and thinking like, why did I take time off of work for this? I want you to remember when you hear the opportunity to go serve people who have suffered a natural disaster, you're showing them love. You're showing them mercy you're walking humbly with them in the consequences of sin. I think another, another way that, and I'm not going to answer this all for you, I think that ultimately we have to leave with the question, how does love respond, right? But another way that has been at least introduced to uh, our family is, is to, to join the suffering of those who are born innocently into this global effect of sin, no choice of their own, but they're born with a challenge that we don't all have. So uh, my friend Doug Melton introduced us to something called Challenger Ball, and it's unfortunate that that's baseball. I'm not a baseball person. I can probably tell you what inning it is and what a strike and a ball is generally, but um, overall I said, hey, Doug, how do I help with that? And he said, well, come out to the field and bring your glove. And I said, whoa, I don't have a baseball glove, right? That's how big of a fan I am of baseball. I don't have a baseball glove. And he said, no worries, you don't even need one, okay? So I would like to introduce you to the barrier of entry to helping at Challenger Ball. It's down here with me, and you don't even need a baseball glove. So for Sunday afternoon, and this is a for instance, you throw a ball with kids who are basically waiting their turn to bat. 
if any of you have the baseball experience I did, that's also what I did in the field when I was waiting to bat. I played with things. So I'm, I'm saying that when we see someone else suffering the global consequences of sin, we have to ask the question, what does love require? And if it's a natural disaster, maybe we can respond to that. I don't have a chainsaw, but I can go with people that do, and I can pick up the stuff that they cut, right? And I can say, uh, well, what about challenger ball? I know my buddy Hannah loves that. I can catch a softball, maybe, but it's irrelevant. They don't care if you catch the ball. They want you to throw it back to them. You can join the polar plunge. You can also plunge virtually if you don't like cold water. <laughs> every year I begin to think, I should plunge virtually this year, but every year uh, more and more of our Georgetown Christian family and our student ministry join that same plunge, and, and every year even more money is raised for uh, our friend Hannah and, and all of her buddies who enjoy the Special Olympics. Those are just a few ways I've answered the question, what does love require? But I want to invite you to consider for yourself that question that you can see Jesus answering, what does love require? So <clears throat> we're to our fourth, our fourth cause for suffering, sin, in the form of persecution. The root of all of our suffering is sin. God created a beautiful, perfect world that we just saw is going to be redeemed just like we are. But we have a fourth cause of suffering, that sin of persecution. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, and, and Paul, uh, remember, helped plant uh, the church or churches uh, in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to Timothy, who's ministering to these churches now. Remember that when we come back to Ephesus, because Paul writes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I get so excited about coming to church until I read stuff like that. And I'm being like 100% honest. I don't want to pray the prayers we're going to pray at the end of today. It's really scary. But we have an example who walked before us. Um, I don't think that Paul is saying, hey, Timothy bad news, there's going to be some great parties in Ephesus. You're not going to be invited because they know you're a pastor. Some people believe Paul wrote Hebrews. I'm not prepared to argue who wrote Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews says, similarly, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released. It does not say refusing to recant their faith. It says refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. Believers, we can suffer persecution. It's still a sin by others, but a non-believer is not going to suffer persecution. We have to ask ourselves, how will we answer 
the suffering of persecution, and how does love respond? We have to ask this specifically in the times we think this is not just. Because right there we have an opportunity. An opportunity to decide whether we are going to become bitter or are we going to become better. And that's a test that God gives us. This is number five. I want you to listen for any themes that you hear in the next handful of verses. I think that you can stay with me through all of these verses. I dropped a few because I couldn't stay with me uh, as I read them all. But I've selected just a handful. I've selected them from Jesus, from Paul, from Peter, from James, from apostles, from people who did actually suffer for their faith. And I want you to listen for an instructive word, an active word, like a a verb is what I want you to listen for, any kind of a theme. And the reason I'm not telling you this is what you do, Georgetown, is because I believe that as the Holy Spirit is moving in each of our hearts and God's Word is living and active, there may be something specific that God has called you to do that God has called me to do. And I'm telling you that because he specifically called me to do specific things as we suffered through the injustice of abuse perpetrated against my nieces. Of course we need to do all of these things, but there were specific things God wanted us to do. So I'm going to read, beginning in Matthew, the words of Jesus. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you're a note taker, you may want to write down action words. If you're not, I'm going to review these at the end. Luke, writing about the early church, says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. James writes, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. Peter's writing, and Peter is writing to believers. Peter says, Dear friends, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, because it's not strange. It's not surprising. Peter goes on to say, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, we also rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, remember Peter is writing to Christians. He says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will, so we can throw out the question about whether this is in God's will now, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. If they are Christians, 
and he's asking them to commit themselves, I think we could say maybe Christians need to recommit sometimes. So if you're not a note taker, maybe you're just trying to download that all to the memory, maybe ask the Lord to move that to the heart. Here's some of the action verbs that I observed as I read. Love, pray, rejoice, consider it pure joy, do not be surprised, rejoice, commit to a faithful father, continue to do good. All of these are action steps that every one of these New Testament writers, Jesus recorded by Matthew, saying, here is a proper, holy response to suffering, in many cases, that is not the result of our own sin. Suffering that may be the result of persecution, the sins of others, the global curse of sin, maybe even testing, as Peter said, according to the will of God. This is the example that we can see living in Jesus' life. The example we see Paul set as he's writing a letter to Romans, as he's writing to Corinthians saying, remember all of the suffering I did. There were some people there who thought maybe they should brag about their suffering. Remember, Paul in Acts is trying to run back into the angry mob in Ephesus, and his friends say, they're going to kill you, and they pull him back. I wonder, Christians, if we can, in a Western Christian environment, ever grow to a place where where our faith is becoming so mature that we can, like Paul, run towards suffering, knowing that, like the writer of Hebrews said, we may gain a better resurrection. Our suffering well and enduring persecution and testing is a witness to where our hope really lies, whether that's in heaven or whether that's here. So one more time, our suffering, our suffering persecution or testing the results of sin by someone else or globally, however it happens, our suffering well, our enduring, is a witness to where our hope really lies, here or heaven. So I'm inviting you to pray this prayer today. It's not a prayer I want to pray, but it's a prayer I very clearly can see we should be praying from the example we have in Scripture, from saints who have gone before us, from faithful Christians I know in this church. This is a prayer I'm inviting you to pray. I'm not telling you to pray it because I think that God has different work he does in each of our hearts. But I am confident that suffering is the job of a Christian. If you would bow your heads, Father, would you prepare each of our hearts, Father, in the way that you want to work in our lives. Lord, be that a decision to follow you for the first time. As one who answered the question, what does love require? Jesus didn't choose to stay on a throne. He chose to join the suffering. He chose to pour out his life for the benefit of others. Father, if we have not followed Jesus as a savior, as a king, as an absolute boss in our lives, 
If there's a first-time decision for that, Father, I'm praying that you would move in those hearts to make that decision today. Lord, uh, for those that we call brothers and sisters, the family of God, your church, your called-out ones, Father, it's our prayer that you would show us where we can suffer well. Father, I'm afraid to pray that prayer because... I'm so tempted to think this counts on me and my strength. Well, Father, I know that you provide what we need. Jesus said he's with us always to the end of the age. And he meant it. And we see that he was with each of his apostles who give us this encouragement to rejoice, to have joy, to find glory in it, to to recommit to you, to continue to do good. So, Father, I, I pray with my brothers and sisters here this morning that you would show me where I can suffer well. I pray this in Jesus' name.